Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid Oh, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me so darling, darling, stand by Hello and welcome to episode 150, cough, 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 check that later, uh, of The Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. I am Christine. And we're here to record an episode about two movies with a lot of connections. A, a lot, a lot, yeah. Like, I, you could make a, like, there is, you could do a Family Feud style uh, top five things that connect the two movies we're going to podcast about today. And you would still have people get X's because there are things that are in common that are not actually, do not come up in these movies. That still would be, I'm saying there's more than five. So one thing they both have in common, um, they are both made in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. They both star young actors. Yep. They both are about uh, journeys. Yep. Uh, both of them, sh- they share two actors. One we'll get to, but uh, what's his face? He's and he has like a very specific face, a little kind of ratty, blonde-haired guy. It's very mean that I'm saying that about him. He's a perfectly fine-looking guy, but he's like, oh, he's like the hench, a henchman in both movies. Oh, uh, I don't think I realized that. Okay, so there's one guy who's. How did I not write his name? How did I not do that? Some guy whose name is going to be found when I turn IMDb back on and have to scroll down through the millions of other things that show up in front of it. Gary Riley, that's his name. Little blonde guy, freckles. Yeah. He, he is a sort of bit character in both films. Both involve trains. Yeah, I was going to say trains, mm-hmm. but I wanted to let you have that one. Oh, well, thank you. I'm very, very excited when I realized just how many things. Uh, both involve putting your ear down to a train to see when it's coming next, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is something I guess we all in the 80s did a lot because we Lots. learned it from these movies. Uh, Although, and, yeah. 80s movies taking place in the past. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. Totally. Mm-hmm. One is in the 30s, one is in the 50s, and both are yep. made in the 80s. Totally. Yep. Uh, they share another actor. 
So this is sort of like a one for me, one for you. Because uh-huh. there's like think both of these movies are movies I adored growing up and still adore now and have seen dozens of times. But for you, I I'm, I was gonna say I programmed the show for your birthday because you it did was your birthday, yeah. and I kind of said, well, you know, we should do movies starring your current favorite actor. And I don't know that Christine has seen one of these movies in which your current favorite actor is very adorable. Yes, and. Uh, I wanted to make sure that you watched it because I also realized as I watched it how many things in this movie just scream Christine. Uh, so, Christine, with all all that being said, yeah, what are the movies we're covering today? Okay, the movies that we're covering are 1985's The Journey of Natty Gan and 1986's Stand By Me. Yes! Both, both with John Cusack, early John Cusack roles. Very specific early John Cusack, baby-faced, Aww. sweet boy uh comforting a, a boy you can have a crush on and it not be weird a boy that you could be like maybe 12 years old in a movie and have a relationship with and it's, it's totally okay by movie standards i think look we'll get to that i did not look <laughs> <laughs> and i also have a story about john cusack and stand by me and i guess i'll hold it until we actually get to stand by me. Okay. We're going to start with The Journey of Nettie Gann. It, ca- it came out one year earlier. Uh, and this one, it's a little different because, again, I grew up with this movie. I watched this movie a lot. I 100% would fantasize about being Nettie Gann. And not just like, oh, running away. Like, I wanted to live in the woods with a big wolf dog. We, growing up, I we had a dog named Rocky who was very wolfish. He had long white fur. We didn't, we never figured out what breed he was. He would, um, he would howl. We lived near a fire station and at night he would climb up on the like little kid playset, and he would sit there and howl with it. And he <laughs> loved me like more than anyone in the family. Like he was very, very devoted to me. So in my head, I was like, well, if, you know, a parent died and another one moved cross country, I, me and Rocky would hitchhike and hobo train and find our way to him. Cause that's how it worked in that movie but you had never seen it no and honestly if i wasn't trying to get a full 100 percent complete on all cusack movies on letterboxd i would have said i don't want to watch that (laughs) and yet do you see why i thought a lot of this would really speak to you um yeah i mean i i think it was it it was one of those movies, and I have I have feelings about those those like live action Disney movies. They don't they've never really felt like they were for me. In that, explain that a little more, because who do you think this was made for? I, what fascinates me about this movie today yeah. is realizing how mature it is, but yet it one it is made as a kids movie it is made as a movie that you will bring your kids to to watch but yet there there is so much content in it that is adult that is mature and it does not ever speak down to its audience mm-hmm. like there are um there is a character who basically becomes suicidal and i feel like for a movie aimed at kids aside from the fact that like that's a weird thing to put in a movie aimed at kids but if it was like you would have to have a character say you're trying to kill yourself aren't you and this one doesn't like it's just oh you're gonna do that okay and the movie understands that we understand but it's a lot to ask of a young audience today i don't think you would do that um so who do you think 
this was made for aside from me that wasn't you well i i don't and i don't necessarily mean like from an age perspective like i definitely see what you're saying like it's definitely uh wish fulfillment stuff from like a, a like a more childlike perspective mm-hmm. but there is also i actually liked all like the 30 stuff like the the, the jobs and unions yeah. and ray wise and all that stuff i actually really liked so you know it's good i think it's good to have something for something for kids something for parents let's watch it together let's you know grow up with it so i, I have i have strong feelings about skewing things heavily towards children mm-hmm. because if you just want to appeal to what you think they already know then they'll never learn anything new. Yep. And I think that it's maybe good to sometimes aim a little bit like older or, or broader. I, I guess what I more mean is like, there's like a wholesomeness to it that like I never, mm. that never hits for me and never did really hit for me. Um, even though it is rife with, with trauma. I was going to say, and, even when the guy that picks up a like 12 year old kid tries to molest her, that, that was uh but but it it does I don't know there I guess look maybe I can't relate to a father loving their daughter oh oh, oh. <laughs> everybody feel bad for Christine but no um well I, when I the father is I Ray Wise and the movie is set in part in the Pacific Northwest it also does some crazy things I screamed <laughs> out when I realized that so I saw that he was in it I went through the cast I mm-hmm. guess we can start there I went through the cast and I just started rattling off names I was like. Well, I knew it was uh, Meredith Salinger. Yep. I knew she was the, the girl. And I knew Cusack was in it, obviously. But then I was like, Ray Wise? Lady Kazan? Scatman Crothers? <laughs> and it just was like, oh, this is this is fun. There's fun people in this. And uh, I love Ray Wise. But yeah, part of the plot is that he has to go take a job uh, cutting down trees in the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> and I said, oh, no. We Specifically know Washington. Well. They say yes. it is Washington State. They do say Washington, and I and I was like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> Natty Gan should not go find him. He's going to start a new family and probably become possessed by an eternal mm-hmm. demon. Yep. Yep. So that's a Twin Peaks reference if you people don't understand. <laughs> it, and again, like the, I really hope somebody does some fan fiction or some video installation to figure out how Natty Gan is a prequel to Twin Peaks. It really did, it, you know, it's right there. But it, I liked, again, I liked all that stuff. Like, you're singing my song now. And Ray Wise cuts down some trees. There's some wild tree stuff. And it was yeah. like one of those moments where you're like, wow, the past was dangerous. Not that like, now isn't dangerous. Like a dude, basically, we watch a dude get hit, fall off a tree and probably die or get paralyzed for life. It like, it's wild. horrifying. Yeah. And that's probably why this was, I mean, aside from the fact that it was, it was about a girl and a dog, uh, why I loved this movie so much was it just, it's, there's stuff going on. It feels like a grown-up movie. It does. And you're learning things, like, yep. and you're getting to see the country. Yeah. Um, it, so it was written by Gene Rosenberg, who also wrote White Fang and the Black Stallion. Okay. And I, I don't know much about her. I really, like, I'm surprised there has not been enough of a resurgence for this movie. It was out of print for a long time. I think once Disney, like, they stopped owning it or, like, they didn't renew it. So for years mm-hmm, it wasn't mm-hmm. available. And then I think Anchor Bay put it out about 10 years ago. And now it's on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And I've been waiting. I'm like, oh, everybody, now it's on Disney+. Plus. People are going to discover it. And it's going to be, like the new Hocus Pocus thing where people are suddenly like, well, gee, why did we sleep on that again? 
And they haven't. And that is also one of the reasons I wanted to do it. Because it, it is wild to me how wild in some ways this movie is and how good it is. And how, like, I think today I would show this to a kid and I think you'd have good conversations and you'd learn things and everything. Um, but it just... And I, the other thing I'm looking for is like, there's got it. Like, there's an oral history now about every single like. There's an oral history about I don't know biodome. How is there no oral history about that again? And I can't find one. Everything I find is just kind of like random trivia on IMDb. But it's not. I would love for like a real sit down of like whose idea was this movie? I don't think it was based on a book or anything, and it feels like it was because it's such a. It, it does feel like yeah. it, it was. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a specific like history tied story. Yep. But from what I can see, not based on source material. Um, now, White Fang came out after this, but it's the same dog. It's Jed the dog, and he's Wait, also. Wait, it's in the, the same. Thing. That dog's the dog in White Fang. And the thing. That's the thing, dog. That is the thing. That's the first the thing. I just Jed the threw wolf dog. my phone down. I can't. I, that's okay. it. Podcast over. Yeah. Goodbye. I know. I know. I, know. I like, love that dog. How great gonna, is that dog? I'm not gonna bury the lead here at all. That dog is the only thing that kept me in this movie. <gasps> my gosh. <laughs> that dog was such a little sweetie. He was such a sweetie pie. Well, and I what I love him. is that like. He's he's not just pure like goofy sweet dog like no he will still kill yep. like and we see him like he hunts a rabbit he, and he brings out he can the rabbit because oh, she's starving he's and she's very hungry yeah. that's very sweet of him but like yeah at the end of the day that dog will fucking tear you apart if he needs to and and I spoiler alert because we'll we're gonna talk about details so the the ending of this movie is that he he goes she said he he needs to go find a she wolf and. He has he has cared for her and been her her partner and guardian across the country, and now they can say goodbye because they both have the next part of their lives. Like, and it's really like I I cried watching it. I cried both times Aww. because I you know like he's a dog and he loves her and she loves him and they could live happily. But like, no, his nature is that he's he is a yeah. wild animal and he wants to go fuck a she wolf and she, well that's she'll the grow whole up thing. and fuck John Cusack. That's the whole thing. No one can suppress Natty Gann's nature. So why yeah. would she try to suppress the dog, wolf dog's yep. nature? She yeah. wouldn't. She yeah. understands that he belongs with his people. Yeah. It very dog. much. I know you didn't get through Game of Thrones, but there is uh, something that I'm just realizing now is like a really similar story with Arya and her wolf. Because she has a wolf, the wolf is too wild, she has to send the wolf away, she reunites, like, spoiler alert, season eight of Game of Thrones, she does reunite with the wolf, but, like, it's one of those where, like, they see each other, it's like, oh no, you you have your life now, and I have my life, and it's, you know, it's a whole thing. It's they, very sweet. Yeah, I know. Um, the director is, uh, oh, what else did he do? It's, it's an odd, again, like... Everything about this movie feels strange in some ways that I guess it was typical for its time of Disney that they were putting out these kind of live action adventure movies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it just, it, there, there's things about it. Like James Horner does the script, the, the score, and it's beautiful. The, I didn't look at the cinematographer, but it's a really good looking movie. Like there's just a lot behind it for being a kid's film. Uh, the director did the Sting Two, a fairy tale theater episode, uh, uh, a lot of TV. 
Um, but nothing, for some reason, I thought he was better known for something else that I couldn't think of. The Chosen, I've never seen. Um, yeah, and then a lot of TV. So, yeah. But. The... Uh, now, I am not a lesbian, but I know many people consider Natty Gann kind of a lesbian icon. Did you get any of those? Just, I guess, because she's kind of, you know, scrappy and tomboyish and has short hair. Uh, she is clearly into John Cusack, so there's that. But curious if, if, any, if you felt any of those vibes. Because I've known um, a lesbian or two who has cited Natty Gann as like one of the things of like, oh, oh, maybe, maybe I'm that way. I, and I get that, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, you know, first of all, let's not rule out, you know, bisexuality Very true. from, Very from true. the, from it, from the conversation, yep. but also I think that, and while I completely get that and I'm not undercutting that in any way, I didn't personally get that, but also like to me conflating a tomboyish girl mm-hmm. as like, as like a dyke immediately sure. is like alarming like oh no because i wouldn't want to to be categorized that way like like mm-hmm. just based on like the way i carry myself out in the world that that way because she clearly is into him yeah like i, well, I don't at think... what point do, do does that turn romantic do you think i don't know yeah. never to me i don't think it ever turns romantic i was genuinely alarmed when it did <laughs> So, so John Cusack plays, uh, I think his character's name is Harry. He is a hobo. He is uh, a, a vagrant, a wanderer. And I like, I actually really like the way he is introduced early in the film and comes back. Like there is something to... I did you, like that, yeah. Yeah, because it gives you a little bit understanding of the journey, a little bit of kind of like placing you somewhere. And so many of these kinds of stories are very episodic. And so for... And a lot within that, between that, it's actually something I love about this. I love the scene with the blacksmith where she um, she thinks the dog is being taken away to be either a guard dog or killed. So she goes to get the, set the dog free. And instead, she discovers like this kind of um, lonely blacksmith who has injuries on his face. So clearly mm-hmm. he doesn't interact with people that much. But like they just have a really sweet day together and he takes a shining to her and she takes a shining to him and that, and that's it. And then they send her off. Like it re- reminded me a little bit of, um, I don't think you saw this, but you need to. Cause it's so good. Leave no trace. The... I have not watched it yet. No, it is wonderful. It is also set in the Pacific Northwest. It is also about a father and a daughter. And something I love about that film is that it, um, could have given a whole lot more darker characters around your, your two that you're following Mm -hmm. but instead it uses like almost every character it introduces as an opportunity of kindness so a character shows up that you think oh it's the social security worker they're going to be a jerk oh no they're actually really trying oh here's another veteran who's just nice to them and helping them and i like that this movie has a few moments of that without it being a big thing like the blacksmith helps her before that, she meets a, a couple, like a farmer couple who... Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's just a quick scene of, like, she spends half a day there, they feed her, and then she has to go because they're about to kill the dog. And it's not, like, it doesn't turn mean or sour. It's just like, oh, no, like, I'm passing through. I gotta go. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like, it's not... the It, it could have gone very easy villain, like, current, constantly trying to escape people, but it doesn't. Um, so John Cusack, she meets early on when she is the, the first train she catches. <laughs> 
Uh, and when you see his little sweet baby boy face, were you excited of like, oh, it's a little baby boy, John Cusack? Yeah, so I love early, uh, mid, mid, mid to late 80s, our early career, John Cusack, and we'll get into why and stand by me. Mm. Um, but he, he's adorable, and I think, I, it goes without saying, and I think he's extremely handsome now, so it's fine. But um, he's a tremendous talent, and I don't understand why he's not in more modern things. Actually, I do understand why, but I wish he was in more uh, modern things, because he commands the screen, in my opinion. <laughs> he's so charismatic. And so watchable and just really, uh, like, deeply empathetic, like, in the sense that it's easy for me to, like, feel what he's trying to convey. Because it's like, a, you want, there's like a line being towed with these two characters before it yeah. turns oddly romantic. Is like, like, I, you know, I gotta watch out for myself, but also, you know, clearly this kid needs help. And, like, it's, it's really, it's cute and fun and wholesome <laughs> and then completely strangely bizarrely romantic which i guess is cute and innocent in its own way yeah <laughs> it because it it's not it the romance aspect i guess does not kick in for me uh, in part but also like as a little girl watching this i definitely had a crush on john cusack and definitely thought like this was sort of that ideal, like, oh, an, an older man who is helping me, but, like, also respects me, seems to be the case in that movie, right? That yep, yep. Um, they travel together, they they are both helping one another out, because there's things she can do that he can't do, and vice versa. Um, so then they get to a point where they have to split up, because she's still going to his dad, her dad, and he's going the other way. And I th- guess, like, the, the other aspect, like, it's 1935. Like, they're very mature people for their age for sure yeah so it's but yeah like there it seems it's not until they're separating that suddenly it's like oh i'm losing her and i really like her so to me as a kid it was very hot and very romantic the way like they're splitting up and that makes sense but then that he just runs off the bus and they kiss and like as a kid it was just that was all like heart flutter as an, as an adult, it was like, I don't know how I should feel about this. I, the age difference to me felt uh, felt extreme, but mm-hmm. perhaps maybe that was just my read on it. Maybe it right. wasn't supposed to be <clears throat> that jarring of an age difference. Also, yes, it was a different time. So there yeah. were often age difference relationships. It's just for me, there was no... That wasn't the, the the energy between the characters. The energy between the mm-hmm. characters was much more like um like siblingy. Yeah, that's fair. Like like a helpful older brother, and and I and I and I liked that. So when when he asked her to go with him, I was like, oh yeah, so they can still be traveling, buddy. <laughs> I didn't realize there were like romantic implications to that invitation until they kissed. I was like, oh, <laughs> and then I was like, well, of course she likes him. And right. she, has, she has a lot of moxie, and she's really capable. So yeah. sure, he would like her too. So it made sense. I just didn't get that. And which is, I guess, maybe good, because it is a kid's movie. I don't know if I want to see, like, like intense longing between two ch- children. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like today it would not have been romantic, or you would have cut around. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. Because I, yeah. I agree. I think it could have been very powerful if it was just like her waving to him as the bus leaves and then still her writing the letter to him 
right? Like later on, she's writing a letter. So it's like also one of those things that I think you forget about because I couldn't remember in my head. It's like, oh, they're never going to see each other again. And like, how can they even, they're not even going to know where they are because there's no phones, there's no internet, like, but that, oh no, she, she can communicate with him still. And I think there, there is probably an argument to be made to, if today you were, you'd made this movie and you were still test audiencing it, I think you show a cut without the kiss, but still with her writing the letter and then maybe it, it plays better somehow. I don't know. Yeah. No, no, I get what you're saying. But, like, again, this is a movie from the 80s about the 30s. So, like, right. I'm not going to, I'm not, I wasn't, like, offended by it. Like, I... <laughs> Yeah, it, it doesn't age the way, I'm try, I can't think of a good example, but, like, we've both watched a lot of movies made at that time that really did not understand that, you know, teenage girls and 40-year-old men are not compatible, naturally. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, so yeah, I... It was weird. It took me by surprise. A little bit. I get that. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I am, I, I expected you to enjoy it more. I, I will confess. Oh, I didn't dislike it at all. At, at all. Uh, at all. Like, I, I really did. I, I was engaged the whole time. I was very invested in the dog. Well, yes. Very invested in the dog. <clears throat> I loved all the logging stuff. Because <laughs> I'm an old boy. <laughs> The logging stuff was fascinating to me. I think at one point I turned to Zach and I said, how did we ever get anything done? Um, <laughs> how did we not all die? It's the other part well, of that. Well, a lot of us did. You yeah, know? that's true. That's it, true. It was tough times. And, and, and I, I, you know, that's this is one of the reasons why I've always been very pro-automation. People will often say automation takes jobs. Mm-hmm. But I often say the things that can be automated are maybe the things that people shouldn't be yeah. doing. Yeah, I mean, like, coal I mining. It's... <laughs> I don't want a person to have to climb up a tree like that and then sit on the very top of it like Ray Wise did. It was terrifying. (laughs) After the guy before him who did it and probably died. And I'm I'm pretty sure, like, like, there's got to still be logging that happens that way. Yeah, But I would like to think there are more supportive things in place so that, like, falling to your death isn't isn't common enough that no one wants to take that job. And it is an interesting... um, kind of quieter part of this movie that again you did not have to have in this movie but it's there and it's it's there enough so that it does generate probably conversations but not that it overpowers over parts of the film which is like it's the 30s it's the depression uh the dad is one of the like kind of pro-union guys who is getting framed as a communist and yet we see like the issue being you have to work because there's, you have to find money, but also work is really fucking dangerous. And yep. how, and I, I really like too that you see the supervisors, you see the guys that are paying for this and how much they don't give a shit. And the scenes between Ray Wise and the, um, like his, his supervisor, his, his the guy who owns the logging, the guy who's running that, where it's very like, you, you're probably going to die doing this, but also if you don't do this, you're never going to get work again. Like that. It's very upfront about how fucked up that is. Mm -hmm. 
And yet, again, it's that's very true. And we're did, still having those conversations. But I enjoyed that. I, I yeah. think it, it, it actually, yes. Yeah. So here's some things I enjoyed. I did like it. I don't want you to think I didn't like it. But it just wasn't, uh, these movies weren't for me when I was the age group. And sure. now, now that I'm not, there's still, there's still something that doesn't like hit right. But I do like that it, it felt like it did have a stance on that yeah like on on you know the exploitation of workers the lack of work the way workers are treated how disposable Mm -hmm. they are like and i appreciated that because i don't i I can't speak of all modern disney releases but i don't know that that would be something that disney would be so well especially when disney is a company that i mean everything coming out about marvel visual effects artists and how awful that work is and how ridiculous those expectations are on them so yeah it's not i mean disney is Again, like both of us, I think are pretty clear-eyed about Disney not being the best company, and they do they do some things right. And I, you know, I'm not going to say they're a complete blight on humanity, but yeah, yeah, they they do a whole lot wrong. Probably a lot worse for humanity than good. Um, yeah, and so for this to have kind of snuck out in a way uh, is is cool. Yeah, it had a, po- a a real clear point of view and stuff, and uh, I I appreciated that. I appreciated that it that it had a stance, it had a perspective, and and it stuck with it the whole way yeah. through. And it's not saccharine sweet at no, all. Like it's no. not. There are like you said at one point. I mean, she is in she is in danger a lot. Yes, like, like real danger a lot. And uh, and and they don't sugarcoat what she's doing is is a massive, terrible, horrifying undertaking. And I and I do again appreciate that. Like, hey, let's throw this young female protagonist in these situations, and she's extremely capable. I mean, of course, she has like a wolf dog, but like her her kindness again. That's a thing. She's very kind, mm-hmm. and very aware, and that's why the 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 dog even you know because yeah. she lets the dog go yeah she and... saves the dog the dog is part of dog fighting which again that scene crazy that this is in it right insane. there yeah. are dogs tearing each other apart there are men drinking alcohol and smoking all around them and she like makes eye contact with the dog and basically opens the door and lets the dog out and that's how the dog is kind of like oh you're 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 one for me you're on my side and it it is yeah it's a big part of um, that thing that I, you know, like, I always feel like, okay, if, if an animal, and I mean, there are some people and animals that just don't mix for some reason. There are some animals that for no good reason don't like a certain person, but there is something to be said for when an animal just loves a person that you had doubts about. Suddenly you're like, oh, well, my cat doesn't go to anybody, but he's sitting on your lap. So you must be okay. And yeah, we, we trust both Wolf and Natty because they are friends together and we like both of them. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I think another thing with the kind of the, the way society is at this point, um, and I, this is a scene I had forgotten, was when you kind of get to the, uh, not like Hooverville-esque, um, I forget what they called them, like kind of like the ghettos, it, was, it comes up a lot in Grapes of Wrath of all of those little shanty towns, that's it, where, mm-hmm. um, where she finds John Cusack the second time. And it's like just a bunch of people who don't have work, who have no place to stay, who have made a little town for themselves. And then the place, some police officers and, you know, I forget what Cusack says, but it's like, oh, yeah, those are the moral citizens who come and burn the place the fuck down. Which is extremely relevant, yeah. honestly. Like, it, it, it is it is a very real thing that still happens. And yeah. I, I think I was like, just 
just leave them alone. Yeah. Don't bother they're, anybody. They're not bothering anybody. They're, Have a, they're having hard enough time as it is. Exactly. And it's very, it's something that like the movie doesn't go into more detail on, but like I didn't know that that was so much of a thing until, pro- like I read Grapes of Wrath a year or two ago and I had never read it. And it was shocking to me how much you could take excerpts from it and nobody would know that it was written then. You would think mm-hmm. it could have been written today about Mexican immigrants or anybody else that is being very attacked by a certain moral majority here. Um, but yeah, that it's just there that one other thing that was happening at that time that is not a overly obvious piece of history, but I love that it's in there because it just kind of fleshes out that society at that time. And mm-hmm. it kills me that I've not been able to find like an interview with Jean uh, Rosenberg where she says like why she wrote that scene in and how much was cut out and all of that. I would love to know more. But So I think it's your job to do this oral history. Oh gosh. Yeah. Meredith Salinger is very active on Twitter. She's available. And she, she is like you mentioned Natty Gann and she will like your tweet and she will usually like jump in there and say like, thanks. It's my favorite movie. Like she, she clearly would participate in a documentary about this movie because it seems like she was very proud of this was her first film role, which is oh, was pretty it? crazy. Cause I mean, she's she, very good in it. Yeah. And she is on screen the entire time. Like this is yeah. her movie. Um, and she's, I guess, maybe that's part of it is, like, it's that naturalness that she has in this, where she feels like a kid. And I know that's something that comes up in Stand By Me was how one of the problems with so many kid actors is they kind of have that aff- affect, right? They they know that they always have to be on, so sometimes you can't get a certain genuineness out of them. Yeah. And I think in this, that probably helped her, was being, you know, not being somebody that came in with a certain way of speaking that she's just has to be a kid in this movie and she's great mm-hmm. um so yeah the, the world needs more on this and i will i will take that up and, and consider um finding digging more so you know yeah. i'd be into it all right well stay tuned everybody sadly we cannot interview jed although i think jed lived to be like a good 18 or 19 which for a dog of his size is pretty impressive so uh yeah that is right um yeah. I can't believe how famous that dog was. I'm starstruck. I know, right? Can you imagine having... I wonder if he did, like, convention meet and greets. Can you imagine? Can I you? wish. I, I, would, I would hand over a stiff 20 to pat that puppy's head. Totally, totally. The scene... <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, the scene where... What is it? Like, they, like, she, like, says to him, like, well, I'm not, you know, like, you stay away from me. And then, like, it cuts to her sleeping on his, his little snout and they're cuddling. It's adorable. It's all the dog stuff. I cannot stress enough how adorable it is. It hits. It works. It's great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It. it, I. I'm so like I did a a Disney movie. I did watch. I think it. This was. It was in the early '90s. I could be wrong. Was Homeward Bound. Oh yeah, early '90s. I think when you throw animals in it, it's a little like I'll I'll I'm a little bit more apt to pay attention to it. So I think if I had watched this as a kid, I probably would have really been into it because of the dog and how yeah. present present he is sure. in the movie. Yeah, no, makes makes perfect sense. And it was one I think I don't think we owned it, but I think we would rent it more than once. I would probably like always beg to rent it because I know I had seen it a lot and I don't remember. Yeah. I would remember the case because this was one of those thick Disney cases. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if, if anybody out there, first of all, if you haven't seen it, I think you should watch it. And if you have kids and if you are a dog person, then you should 100% watch it. 
Yeah, and I uh, was talking to somebody on Twitter, and they pointed out how good the uh, <clears throat> the score was. It's beautiful. And yeah, it re- it really is. I I hadn't really considered it until like it was clearly pointed out, and I was like, you know, yeah. it was really all this like the sweeping landscapes, and oh, there's yeah. a lot of like wides of her and the dog just walking and those are all really pretty it's well filmed yeah well and again it also i think will connect very well to stand by me which has a lot of similar filming and looks beautiful um yeah james horner is one of those i mean i think he has multiple oscars he did field of dreams he did avatar he's done uh, oh my gosh uh Krull, perfect storm mm-hmm. an, an american tale deep impact Vasco zorro like Many Braveheart, like many of the very, very specific, memorable song uh, scores that are used by figure skaters, James Horner is behind. So this came, he was not the first there. This was um, one tidbit I didn't know was that he was not the first one hired for this movie. Um, oh, interesting. There was a score, I think it was by, oh, it's embarrassing that I didn't write this down, but somebody else had done the score. They didn't like it. Then they brought him for it. Uh, this was his, like, already his, like, 12th movie after 10 years of working. Uh, he did Deadly Blessing? Wow. Oh, no, he was the conductor for the score oh, for Deadly Blessing. Weird. That is crazy. Uh, something Wicked This Way Comes. Uh, Streets of Fire. Star Trek Three. My gosh. Yeah. So wow. you, they 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 knew that they needed something good and they got it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. So do you have any more to say about The Journey of Natty Gann, the greatest movie ever made about a girl or a dog? Uh, well, I mean, I think all of that is probably true. Good, good. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, it was it was sweet and cute, and I'm glad I watched it because I get to mark another one off my list. All right. <clears throat> so thank you. Oh, anytime, anytime you want to do another episode and rewatch this one, I'm there too. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. With that being said, a uh, quick break, and we come back and stand by me. Woohoo! Take out the papers and the trash. You don't get no spending cash If you don't scrub that kitchen floor You ain't gonna rock and roll no more Don't go back Just finish cleaning up your room Let's see that dust fly with that broom Christine, I have a question for you Uh, I think I have an answer Do you want to see a dead body? Actually, no. Well, no, but you totally understand why their answer is yes, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess so. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Within the space. Not, not me. <laughs> uh, we are talking about 1986's Stand By Me, which is unabashedly in my top ten of all time. I love this movie. And this is a movie I've seen a lot. Yeah. You, you grew up with it a bit? <laughs> oh, I've seen this movie, so I knew I had seen this movie a lot. Like, I knew. Um, this is the first time I've watched it decades, maybe. Oh. Burned into my brain. Wow. I know. I know every beat. I yeah. know. I know every every transition. I know huge swaths of dialogue. Do you know, the um, for all of those songs, for the most part, do you only know the parts they play in this movie? Because that's true for no, me. No, because I was a nerd who used to listen to oldies nice. by themselves. Yeah, in a it was a big thing in the in the eighties. It, it was, and I was, I was, I was there for it. Um, I, this movie is. I think it's because my mom really liked this movie, mm-hmm. and. And for a long time, I would say it's one of my favorite, like, Stephen King 
adaptation movie. Yeah. Um, even though I've not, I've not read that story. I haven't either. I kept thinking I did. And then realized when I watched it with Rob Reiner's commentary and he was talking about some of the changes he made, I'm like, oh no, I actually never read the body. Yeah. I, I've never read it. And I, I, I hadn't really felt compelled to, cause mm-hmm. for me, like I've never connected with King's writing, sure. but like I did at one point connect with this movie. So I didn't want to like kind of, I wanted to keep them separate, I guess. That's fair. Uh, and so I have kept them separate. So it was just rewatching it was was I was genuinely surprised how much I remembered mm-hmm. and I really find that this was a formative film for me. Sure. I and I don't think I knew that mm. until rewatching it. I had I had thought maybe because so so here's the thing. I was an incredibly gay child. Um but I was also incredibly attracted to boys. And these are just mm. all these boys were, I was in love with every boy in this. It was every kind of like in... a boy for every, I mean, aside from the fact that they were all white boys, it was very for much sure. like a personality type for everyone. The sensitive boy, the bad boy with a heart of gold, the crazy boy, and like the lumpy goofy boy. And and I and I I truly love them all. And then even yeah. like Kiefer, I think this is probably the first movie that I really saw Kiefer Sutherland done. And um, I I I re I and seeing them all again, I was like, yeah, this is <laughs> this was a formative movie. So to that end, I knew that Gordy, played by Will Wheaton, Gordy was I was Gordy. I was always Gordy. Um, <laughs> I was always Vern. <laughs> I look, we are who we are. Indeed. So I. Even rewatching it, I was like, am I not going to be Gordy now? And I was like, no, I'm still Gordy. But I knew that Gordy's brother was, I knew Gordy's brother. And it, Gordy's brother meant a lot to me at one yeah. point. Um, I didn't know that that was John Cusack until very recently. Oh, wow. So in Brandon my didn't head, either. I, Brandon had that same realization I, of like, John Cusack isn't in Stand By Me. I'm like, excuse me? Well, star I quarterback. I knew that he was, I think, but I don't think I knew, I didn't put it together in my head. Sure. So I knew watching it, he was going to be Gordy's brother. And I knew that at one point I liked Gordy's brother. So Gordy's brother is really, Gordy is a writer and Gordy's brother is really, um, he's very encouraging and very sweet. And he loves his brother. And I don't know what that's like. Like I never had a male figure in my life that Mm -hmm. liked me. So I really connected to that character. Yeah. So watching this and seeing him, John Cusack, being that character, it all hit. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is why. This is why I feel the way I, I feel when I look at him, because this is the first time I ever saw him. Mm. And he was just this huge force of like goodness and comfort yep. and 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 I was just like, oh, it, I think I started crying. I was like, oh, it all makes sense. This is why I'm completely in love with this person. It just took me decades to kind of connect it that way. Yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, there's a lot of things in this movie that still work for me and a lot that really don't. Hmm. But but that relationship, again, like brought me to tears. Yeah. Decades later. <laughs> and and I, I watched it this time with Rob Reiner's commentary, because again, I have seen this movie so many times that same, I could do every line of dialogue. And <clears throat> that was one of the things that Reiner talks about was how, ca- I mean, this is one of those movies that if there is an Oscar given for casting, it should go to it, because it is so important, especially when you're dealing with young actors, to find the right kids for the right parts. And he talked about how, like, Teddy was really hard to cast because they, Corey Feldman was the only kid that walked in and had the anger they needed. That, um, 
Jerry O'Connell was, it was his, he was a first timer. Like he had never Mm -hmm. been in a movie before. And that like, he came in for the audition. And as he was leaving, he was like, Hey, you're on channel five, right? Like to Rob Reiner, meaning like you're in all in the family reruns. And Rob Reiner's (laughs) like, yes, I am. He's like, all right, cool. And leaves. It's like, Oh, that's, that's Vern right there. That's very funny. Um, that, uh, with John Cusack and he said, like, he knew, like, it's not a big part. It's two scenes. And it worked out because John Cusack was, like, pretty in demand at that point. But he, like, kind of insisted on him. He's like, I need the right presence for this role. Like, you need a somebody that just immediately lends the movie with an understanding of what Gordy is going through to know what he has lost. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, yes, every brother, every person in town is like oh you're you're you know i know your brother i remember your brother he was great he was great uh and even ace right i had forgotten this at the like the last scene when ace is ready to kill these kids Mm -hmm. and he says to gordy he's like you don't you know surely like you know you would have the same sense that your brother did like or something to where like even ace who is this monster of a man probably respected this guy that everybody knew him he was the golden boy but yet he was a really good person and and loved his brother and gave him so much and it's there's so much in this movie of like what is not there right that the brother is not there that mm-hmm. all of these kids who you aside from Gordy's parents who are awful parents and kind of not present in a way we don't see the parent anybody else's parents because they don't seem to be a big part of their lives, right? They, they mm-hmm. are in that they have determined their kids and who they are, right? Teddy's dad is crazy, and so everybody knows that, and Teddy is constantly defending him. Whereas with Chris, um, which is the other casting, like, the casting coup that is just devastating today. Yeah. Because, like, I didn't know River Phoenix, but everybody that had seemed to have said he was a wonderful human being who had a ridiculous amount of talent, who really did catch a very bad break and die well before his time. Um, And it's, you know, that Chris has to, is born into basically being a loser, right? Everybody expects him to be, everybody expects him to be a thief. His dad's a scumbag. His brother's a scumbag. Everybody knows who the chambers are. Um, And, Chris obviously isn't. He is a great kid. He is kind. He is sensitive. Um, but he would he needs a Gordy to save him the way Gordy needs a Chris to save him. And yeah, ugh, ugh, so much. It's it's really. I mean, it's really sweet. the The boys are the strength of this for me. Um, I there's a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the writing that is extremely cringy to me is it the kids dialogue or is it the narration oh i was just talking in broad strokes but yes the narration the narration the narration i wish the narration was just plucked right out it is hard for me to have any kind of clear eyes on that because i have grown up so deeply with this movie that to me like this this makes sense as narration especially uh, because when you are watching it, it is not until the end that you realize that it is a story that Richard Dreyfus is writing. Um, and it, so for that, it's one of those things where like, if you can justify narration, I often will give it a pass. Cause it's like, oh no, 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 there was a reason for us to hear that kind of dialogue 
because this is this is his book. This may, maybe he's not going to publish it. I, as a kid, I always thought that he because remember, like when you were a kid, if you turned off a computer that way, um, you lost whatever. Like you weren't saving it, and we don't see him save, and that really freaked me yeah. out. Um, yeah, I I get that. Yeah, but in hindsight, <laughs> I'm like, oh no, it was probably just you know like a symbolic. But there's a part of me that also wonders, like, did he write this just to write this, and is he is this this has nothing? This is not something he's going to publish. Did you ever think about that, or did you just not? Uh... I don't know that I ever thought about it. I, 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 not to say that I didn't think about the act of writing it, because I think as a person who wrote at the time, even that would be a weird thing to not contemplate. I think I just thought he. Uh, the only thought I had was that he was compelled at that point, and I don't know that I thought beyond him being compelled and needing to get that story out. I didn't really think what it would do or where it would go after that. Hmm. Yeah. But also, it's not the fact that there is narration. I don't care. If narration is well employed, I like narration. I think that their narration was poorly written. Hmm. And that's my opinion. And I don't know. Somebody could say, well, that was written by the greatest man alive, this screenwriter. And I'd be like, that's cool. I still think it was poorly written. Or you could say that was lifted directly out of the story. And I would say, my point still stands. I think it was poorly written. That's mm -hmm. my opinion. If other people think yeah. it's well written and it hits. That's fine. But like for me, it took me out because I was like, oh, God, who talks like this? Why would you write like this? Who Who is this for? Interesting. But that's just me though and at, as in my old grumpy age i have really like i've never been pro king i'm right. anti king at this point like hard anti blocked on twitter don't want to hear about him <laughs> not a fan um it, and it colors the way i approach this media you know mm -hmm. unfortunately well i think something along those lines that is always interesting to me was, uh, um, I want to put you back in the frame of like 1994 or so, 95, whatever year it was, when Now and Then came out. Do yeah. you remember that? Like, did you go to see it in the theater? No, I didn't see it until it started airing incessantly on television. Okay. And then I watched it over and over again. So I saw it in the theater with friends and I was really excited because I'm like, oh, it's a female stand by me. And I went to see it, and I have granted, I have not rewatched it. It has been at this point almost thirty years, probably since I've seen that. Uh, and I remember being so mad because I'm like, "This is it's kind of it's not." And I mean, fairness to that movie, it is not trying to be Stand by Me by any means. There are a lot of things about it that you could very clearly see Venn diagrams of, you know, how they kind of do the four kids. They you, they all have a counterpart and so on. Um, but, like, as a kid, I was like, they tried to do this, and it just shows how good Stand By Me is, and that this isn't. And I have never found, like, the female telling of the story that I want. <laughs> and I, mm, you know? Because I watched this growing up with my bro my my one older brother, Tim, was a like, this is, was his favorite movie for years. And we, we used to have to do a thing in uh, middle school called the Speech Contest. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, speech contest, which uh, I I won two of the three years and came in second one year, but I think that was political. of course you did. Uh, the speech contest was every sixth, seventh, eighth grade. You had to write and do a speech um, in front of the class, and like in sixth grade, it was supposed to be uh, like a how-to. In seventh grade, you had to read a book and basically do like a five-minute um, in-character telling of the book, and then mm -hmm. in uh, eighth grade, it was like a life experience that shaped you. And I'll tell you, eighth grade, because it was funny, because my um, 
siblings had already done all like I'm the youngest of four so they had already covered all the things that my family did and people knew my family so I couldn't do like my brother had cancer I can't do that my other brother did that we went to Alaska can't do that Tim did that so instead you know what I did for eighth grade as the event that changed my life and made me the person I am oh what uh in a dead body close uh pretty close being scared by a doll and seeing child's play at a young age I mean, that's pretty uh, uh-huh. pretty on brand, I Yeah, would very say. much, very much. But so in seventh grade, my brother Tim did the body as his. So, like, he because he had to read the book and then, like, do the dialogue, like, we would, would quote this dialogue all the time. And I would say, like, once every two weeks or so, somebody in my family will, for whatever reason, text each other to say, no, Ace, just you. <laughs> always comes up. <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah, yeah, it's fitting. So, um, I mean, to me, like, is like there's a little bit of, of affectation with the kids because they're 80s kids doing 50s dialogue. For sure. Um, here and there, I think you could probably pull apart some of that that comes out a little, little awkward. Um, but when they just get to be kids, I love, like, how, okay, here, here's a big barometer. How do you feel about the pie eating contest story? Oh, we skipped it. Interesting. I are you just not, are you not a throw up person? Um, I never liked it, um, but I never skipped it. Like, well, probably because it was either, it was probably on TV and you couldn't skip sure. it. But, um, I, I don't feel like, it's really hard for me to rectify, honestly, because it's not really that it's the, it's the vomiting. I think that it's just a distasteful story that I don't want in my ears and eyes. Mm-hmm. And so I skipped it. But it again, I've never read the body, so please come correct me. But it to me that is quintessential n- not me not liking Stephen King. That's like that's like some Stephen King shit that I just don't want. Like, so here was away. something really funny in in the director commentary. Rob Reiner gets to that part and he says he's yeah. like, "All right, so it's like let's talk about the fighting contest." He's like, "Rob Reiner did not really, really questioned that as Gordy's story. Um, he felt like Gordy was not the kind of kid that would have told that story, that Gordy was clearly smarter. Gordy was, was everybody describes him as a great writer. And he's like, and it's not a great story. Uh, and that Gordy, like, just would, would have written something more, you know, smarter or deeper or whatever. And, and then he says, he's like, but it tested great. He's like, we could not deny, like, everybody we showed it to loved it. And I'm watching it. I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking this. And then Brandon comes in and I tell, I relay that quote to Brandon. And, he, and Brandon looks at me. He's like, but, and he said exactly what I was thinking in my head. He's like, but Gordy is a good writer. He knows his audience. Yeah, it's it's the perfect story that a little yeah. boy would tell a bunch of little boys. Completely. I never questioned him telling that story. I questioned Stephen King or whomever writing that that story as a story that would anyone would tell ever <laughs> I, I think there are other little boy stories that you could tell but that this it's not what was chosen it's not the angle but and I get it I don't I don't think that that that's a reflection of like Gordy being a bad writer because mm-hmm. it's true like what how you're not going to tell like a meditative tale of life and death to a bunch of little boys like tell a gross funny weird story to them yep um so i never had a problem with that for me it truly just comes down to the content like i just don't want it 
And I've seen it so many times. I know. <laughs> yes. I know what it is. I know what it's doing. And I will say that though, Vern, <laughs> Vern's response after is my favorite thing. Oh my God. <laughs> well, do- I just, Christine, <laughs> I just have one question. Did Lardas have to pay to get in the contest? As someone who writes stories, mm-hmm. the things that people, get hung up on are wild sometimes so that felt very authentic like like this thing this burning question isn't like well what happened where what happened after what did people say no it's did he have to pay to enter that that still like again another another line i use in my head like once every few weeks for anything like when i'm hung up on something and they're like dude but wait i don't it's it's like so i was telling you i think this was off air that we've gotten new kittens and we're naming them after characters from league of their own and every single time i talk about how much i love a league of their own i like have to bring up a plot hole that really bothers me about the movie which is that they talk about getting into the playoffs when there's only four teams so how the hell are they not in the playoffs and like it's and finally after years i actually figured out that there is a loophole so maybe i've been wrong all this time but it just goes to show <laughs> that yes and i told and the other fate, my other favorite Vern moment is I brought the comb, right? Yep. But why did you bring a comb? You don't know, I brought it for you guys. Everything like I have been that person that has gone on a trip or gone packing and been like, guys, it's okay. I brought Dawn of the Dead on DVD. So we're going to be okay. We, why did you, we don't even have a DVD player. Oh, but we have the movie in case. Like, yeah. Yeah. I uh, feel seen in Vern, if you will. Yeah. And I get that as someone who's known you for a very long right, time and right. loved you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. Yeah. Um, but really, I think the, the central relationship of this movie is Chris and Gordy. Yes. And and I, their their relationship is a lot more intense than I remembered. Like, yeah. I'm not at all trying, I'm, please, I'm not doing, uh, two little boys were good friends, so that means that they were gay. I'm not doing mm-hmm. that. But I just didn't realize that they were, um, there's so many like longing gazes and so much touching it it really is like a lot more intimate than i remember and you don't see boys acting like that it is beautiful to me it's really it's really again the strength for me is them yeah and and not necessarily even the, the the directions on the page or the words that they're saying it's it's how they actually interpret it Mm-hmm. they're all all four of them are so wonderful together yeah the and i agree like i've seen this movie again dozens of times i sitting down this time was really when i followed that thread too of just how unique that friendship is because you see mm-hmm. it, it, it and exactly and like and i think that's why um as much as the you know you can say what you want about some of the dialogue being on the nose I love the last line of the novel in this movie, and I love the choice to not say it out loud, um, which is, like, I never I never had as, you know, the best friends I ever had was was when I was 12 years old, or, um, oh God, what, now, now I'm messing it up because I don't have it exactly in front of me, <sighs> but, like, the greatest friend you'll ever have, I never had friends as good as I did when I was 12 years old. And then he, he writes it, he doesn't say it out loud, Jesus, does anybody. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love that sentiment of just absolute, right, because you are becoming a new person, you're at that stage where your parents don't understand you, or this, or that, 
And yet we see, like, in at least, I think it's like three scenes between the two of those boys of how they see each other. How they see the good that other people don't, like, Gordy sees that Chris is smart and capable and doesn't have to be what he thinks he has to be. And Mm -hmm. never even doubts. He's like, no, I I don't think you did steal the milk money. And Chris is like, I did. And everybody knew I did. But I gave it back. And Gordy, believe, of course Gordy believes him because he has no reason not to. He, said, this, he knows this boy would never lie to him. And mm-hmm. the way Chris is just there for him and is, is lifting him up. That's, I think, my favorite thing is that it, um, and I, I feel like you do see this more and more in female friendships on screen. Uh, that the whole, like, what women do for each other and how they lift each other up and how important that is. And 100%, mm-hmm. like... I am the biggest fan of my friends. I am your biggest fan. And it is so important to, to for me to do that and for that to be done for me. And the way, you know, Chris just tells, he's like, how, how dare you say this about yourself? You are not that. I'm looking at you and I'm telling you what I see. And you are just as great as your brother and your parents are idiots and, and everything. Um, mm-hmm. It is. It is really, really special and beautiful. And, uh, yeah, and then it just makes it that much harder when you find out what happens to Chris, because it kind of also happened to River Phoenix. Yeah, I I do think I think I forgot this part. They they don't they don't just like drift apart though. They continue to have like a relationship into adulthood, which is nice. I think I just thought all of them stopped talking. Because well, they very why. deliberately say how, way. like, Teddy and Vern just, you know, they all drifted apart, which happens. Yeah. I mean, I some of the best For friends sure. I had when I was 12, I have absolutely no idea what, by the time I was 18, I didn't know who they were. Um, and I, th- I think the way it goes, because I think this is typed, not written, is that, like, he, him and Chris did stay, fr- like, he got Chris into good classes and Chris became a lawyer, like, but that mm-hmm. they hadn't seen each other for 10 years and then, you know, Chris gets stabbed unceremoniously while trying to break up fight. Uh, and it makes me very angry. But And it also, um, something that like, I only probably caught like the 10th time I watched this movie, is that it is how this movie starts. Is Richard Dreyfuss sitting in a car looking at a newspaper with that headline, basically. You know, like, attorney stabbed yep. in, you know. And it's interesting because I, I always like when movies do that where like, they kind of give you a piece of information that is going to mean absolutely nothing at the time. But by the second time you watch it, you're like, oh, oh, I see what you're doing there. You actually did plant something for me to eventually catch. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, it's a good movie. It's such a good movie. It has a great soundtrack. It does. That's very true. I know. Uh, I mean, Stand By Me is one of my favorite songs ever in the world. Uh, it's a good song. A, yeah, I had it played at my wedding. It was it was my it wasn't our dance. It was the after we danced. We had that song played so that everybody else could come up and dance. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. Well, we didn't want everybody else dancing to the Muppets. That that would have been tacky. That was that was just for us. <laughs> Adorable. <laughs> um. Oh, another. I'm just going through my notes to make sure I address everything. Another part where I identify with Vern is when they are crossing the railroad tracks. And Vern, everybody, like, they're all walking, but Vern's method is, nope, I'm getting on my knees. It's the way I have more yep. control, and I am yep. slower, but I'm doing it right. Totally what I would do. Yep, I I know. I know you. Yep. I see it. Mm-hmm. And I think what's 
you know, what's cool is you kind of mentioned it with now and then, and I definitely felt it with now and then, but you can kind of like see different attributes like that you recognize in yourself and, and everybody. And that's always kind of fun to, to be like, Oh, you know, I, I too am kind of a, a scaredy cat, but I'm also like the, the introspective quiet one. And, you know, but I also have a temper, so it's nice to, mm-hmm. like, you could kind of see it all rounded out, and and it's fun. And we should cover now and then, because... I should revisit it. I owe it a rewatch, definitely. I watched it obsessively. Wow. Because, so, again, you know, I looking back at media that I used to ingest when I was younger, it is clear that I was always not straight, Mm -hmm. but definitely put that forward. So I would be very quick to admit that I thought the boys in Stand By Me were cute when I were little. It was a lot harder to get me to admit that I thought the girls were cute and now and Mm -hmm. then, but it definitely, I had the same reaction to them. I, it was that, that mix of like, do I, do I want to be this person or do I like this person? Mm, Like, do I, do I find them to be somebody that I want to emulate or, or like, am I attracted to them? Yeah. And there's that push pull a lot for me, like rewatching stand by me, obviously they're kids. So not really, but with like a child's eyes and sensibility, sure. like I definitely was like, wow, Gordy's adorable, but also I feel like I am him. <laughs> <laughs> like, and now and then it's like, that's Thor, 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 Thor Birch is in that, right? Yeah. It's I'm Thora Birch, uh, Christina Ricci. I can't remember the other two girls. Yeah. And, and Christina Ricci. Oh, Gabby Hoffman one is of, one, isn't she? Yep. I think, I believe she is very early formative crush on Christina Ricci. Sure. So like, but then also do I want to be Christina Ricci or do I like her? So it's fun to look back at these things and realize that I was having the same yeah. emotions, but was extremely repressive just, about one of them. Yeah. Like on a different binary planet. Like that. It was just like, yeah. I can't even begin to crack that open, but Ooh. let's look at this. So I would, uh, and I, I, I almost would say I maybe liked now and then better that's okay you can say I that know. i would but i would have to rewatch it to really feel like feel well, that out and when i say that about now and then i also say that about the sandlot like any other movie yeah i do that, i never really connect yeah like that. sandlot i like the baseball aspect but the actual yeah, like oh here we are telling a story about the 50s with little with like young kids and it, it every because i think also of the age i saw stand by me and that i saw it every day that any movie that tried to do a similar thing just never worked for me. And I'm sure there are ones that maybe are just as good. I I say that, again, for me, I say that with a bit of a grain of salt because I I do think this is one of the best possible... I think this is the best possible thing you could do of this story. And I still think this is genuinely a great movie. But I know I also, young me, did not give a lot of movies a chance because I was I wanted something that I was never going to get from every movie that tried. So yeah, I would, one of these I, days, we have to do that one. I get that. I get that. And, and maybe I always thought that there was something missing for mm. me, like yeah. a little piece of it. But, but I will agree with you on The Sandlot. I like that movie. I like uh, James Earl Jones. I like the dog. I like the baseball there's something about it that I, I didn't connect with. Yeah, it, it doesn't, I think, there is a bit of, what's the word? With, like, Stand By Me, there's, like, a wisdom to it. There's a, maybe it's a heavy hand, but, like, there's something soulful about Stand By Me. 
Yeah. And I just, I don't think that's, whereas like the Sandlot, like, and what's funny, I forget this, both of them have a barfing scene, right? In the Sandlot, they chew tobacco and then they go on like a tilt-a-whirl and they all throw up. Like, oh, I think you're, that, and that I, rings a bell. And I think like in hindsight, I saw that movie when I was like 12 and I was like, really? We're even ripping that off of Stand By Me? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and I Stand By Me is is a worthwhile thing to emulate, I think. I yeah. think something from a, you know, a kid's perspective about their experiences is uh is good. Like Yeah, oh, totally. Kids should be autonomous, realized yeah, people in movies so that other kids can see them and be like, "Oh, I too am a human person" mm-hmm. instead of just like this caricature of what a little kid is. Yeah. And I guess that was something, and again, having not read the body, I'm just going off of what Rob Reiner said in the commentary, that one of the biggest changes he made with the script, and he didn't write the script, but he made a lot of suggestions and adjustments. Mm -hmm. Um, And the biggest change they made is that they decided from the beginning, this is Gordy's story. I guess the book is a little bit more even. I don't think, I don't know if Gordy is narrating or not. I think it's more like about the four of them. And when they approached it as a film, they're like, no, 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 this has to be about Gordy. This is this is his story. It's his arc. Yeah. Um, and I guess the the scene with the gun at the end in the book, I think it is Chris that's, that does that and not Gordy. And it's one of those. And apparently, like, they made that change and filmed the movie and then sat down and showed it to Stephen King. And they were like, oh, boy, we really hope it doesn't mind that. And he was like, oh, that's brilliant. That makes perfect sense the way you told it. Uh, that is 100% the way you tell this story on screen. That it is, Gordy has, Chris has a journey too. We don't see all of it on screen because I think a lot of it we understand happens after. Um, But this is a sensitive boy who does not have adults looking out for him, who thinks that he is not worthy of of anybody to be looking out for him. And he grow in in this you know weekend he not like he becomes a man like that's not it like no like he 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 learns a lot he learns to stand up for himself and he also makes the decision at the end that i love which is i wanted to see the body like and he's the first one to say yes i want to see the body um and then he says and now we've seen it now we go we t- we we don't take credit for this i don't want to be in the news doing this i don't want to be a hero um, the right thing to do is to now go make an anonymous call and make sure they find this boy. Like mm-hmm. that there is something I think without the mo- and this is where the movie tells a lot rather than shows, but I feel like it, when I was younger, I would watch this and think it's kind of weird that a, that a kid who lost his brother in what sounds like a terrible accident would want to see a dead body. Like mm-hmm. as a kid, I didn't understand that as an adult. I totally get it that sure. there is this he lack has a of fascination closure. with death yeah and he needs to see it he needs yep. he doesn't quite understand why yet he needs to see it but when he yep. sees it he understands he, there there is a sense when you you see it without and again the movie could have said it and it doesn't and it's just he's like nope this is what we do now we move on and i think there is something really powerful about that and one of the things i love about this movie is that it does play differently and it's not one of those like oh i'm a parent now so it's different like i'm a grown-up it's different it's just there's enough there that you can watch it very differently at different times. And and I definitely agree with that. So if I say that I don't like the dialogue or the dialogue hits weird, that that's not to take away from the actual writing of the story itself. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of really interesting things going on. We've talked a lot about it. We haven't really talked about 
Kiefer Sutherland's gang yeah. or like all of that, which I find very interesting. They're such just, shitheads. They really are, but like Kiefer is like legitimately terrifying. Like terrifying. Yeah. He's 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 scary. So good. And like I think that I uh, people tend to use, you know, and me too, like character study a little li- oh, it's overused, but like this is a really interesting character study yeah. because they do go on an actual journey, yep. but it's n- ugh, it's not about the journey. Well, and even with <laughs> with uh, Ace, I think the movie does a really interesting job of with you. You think he's in more of the movie than he is because really, like, if you actually he's were to clock present, it, it's probably right? like eight minutes of screen time. Like, he's not yeah. there that much, but he's such a presence. Yep. And like the the scene where they're playing chicken and he just won't get off the road. It, it's Awful. so like shit this guy like i get it i am terrified of this guy so that when you get to the scene where him and his buddies are down there and he has a knife and he's looking at these four little kids you do believe that he will kill them yep and that is not an easy place to get to in a movie that is not a thriller that is not a movie about death that is not a movie about murder but when eyeball is like whoa ace no and you see like and again, like you look at Chris and I and oh god, the fact that you have River Phoenix and Kiefer Sutherland, who have this incredible moment of acting that you would again not get again. Um, it is so tense because the movie has done the work of understanding how to make Ace that scary in just little bits, so that you get to that point of oh no, he will kill him. Yeah, you you believe it. You yeah. definitely believe it. You and and his interaction with his crew is really great. Yeah. And I, I, no one's. I, I, what I like is that I never feel like I don't understand a character's motivation mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. Everybody is so chiseled out that like I know why Gordy does what he does. I know why Chris does. Like I know why everybody's doing everything all the time. Mm-hmm. Their trajectories are so clear. And that's, yeah. that's a feat, especially with that many characters. Like, you have a lot of different converging personalities yeah. and stuff. Um, but yeah, that the, the Ace, Ace's gang and him, you're right. In my mind, he looms larger in this movie. But I think because it's, there's always a sense of their convergence. Like, yep. it's imminent, and that's kind of scary. Because even the thing with the mailboxes is scary. Yeah. Like, what fucking kids do that? That's right? terrifying. <laughs> And it also makes Gordy's moment that much mean that much more because yeah. you understand that he what he is doing is is a huge risk. He is, and Teddy, who is you know crazy and ready to jump in front of a train, but he runs away from Ace because he doesn't want to die. But Gordy yeah. doesn't, and yeah, and I mean, like from what I understand, I used to like grow up thinking that the 50 that all like the bully like Stephen King bullies were a ridiculous thing but mm-hmm. like my dad grew up in the 50s and when my dad will talk about some of like the fights he was in as a kid and like the kids in the neighborhood and what they would do it's like oh no like kids like today like you can only get away with so much but like no like there were murderers roaming the streets back then because that like juvenile delinquentism was thought of differently and like no no no, kids were scary if they were in a gang like it could be a really dangerous thing to go to school and face that it it, it paints a picture of of a time that maybe i don't want to 
have been a part of. Oh, certainly not. I mean, we don't see many women in this movie, but I don't think they they made out very well. And honestly, so two things. One, you're completely right. It always strikes me when I think about it, how the complete, it's completely devoid of any femininity, but I think it completely works for this movie in the story that's being told so i don't care but also maybe i just forgot the second thing i was gonna say oh (laughs) i remembered the nostalgia for this time period confounds me because it does seem just terrible no it here's christine it makes perfect sense and here's why in the 1980s who was making movies people that grew up in the 1950s today i know who's making movies people that grew up in the 1980s that's why today it's all about 80s and 90s nostalgia the same way in the 80s it was all about 50s nostalgia um it's it is cyclical but it's like every 25 years or 30 years and same thing, like, I used to, I remember, like, having that realization once of, like, wait, Peggy Sue got married. Like, thinking of all the movies I watched in the 80s, I'm like, why did everything take place in 1956? And then eventually it dawning on me of, like, oh, right, because the people that are telling stories now, this, if they're going to tell a story about kids, their reference was the 50s. If I were to make a movie today and I wanted to tell a story about kids my instinct would be okay i'm gonna have it be late 80s early 90s because that's the time period i understood for that age so it it makes sense for the filmmakers and it fits the audience because who was going to see this we as kids weren't going to see this our parents were going and maybe taking us with them yeah so our parents are more likely to take us to a movie about the 50s than they were a movie about you know, what's happening now, because they can be entertained by the music and everything else. Yeah, I think for for the 50s thing, because my mom was born in 59, so, like, she had no connection to the 50s at all. Um, so, uh, to me, I, I, I think there there's always rung a bit of, like, nostalgia and, like, the, sure. the most classic sense of the word. Like, oh that those times or what it would be like to grow up when things were simpler. But like, I don't know. I don't want to take a 13 mile walk along the train tracks. Like I would rather <laughs> play a video game. I mean, oh, yeah. it was me. Um, and my nostalgia for the, see, I don't have nostalgia for like the eighties or late eighties mm-hmm. or early nineties. I have nostalgia. I wish I was an adult in like 99. That's what my nostalgia is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look back at like, at like the, the turn of the millennium and I'm like, boy, why hadn't I, why wasn't I 27 for this? <laughs> I, I don't know that. I, I don't, I don't think I'm really a nostalgic person in general. Um, so there are certainly things that will, you know, make me smile when I think back to like, oh yeah, I had a lot of koosh balls or whatever, you know, the reference <laughs> might be. But yeah. there is no time period that I think of like, as like, yeah, that's when it was like, Ages, sure. Like being four, I always think back to being four years old. I was four years old in 1986. The Mets won the World Series. Stand By Me came out in the theaters. Maximum Overdrive came out. Like Care Bears were on. It was a great time to be a four year old. <laughs> but it wasn't like, <laughs> let me time travel back to 1986. No, that had nothing to do with anything. It's just these moments in time. And sure, visuals or things that give you comfort and like, oh yeah, I used to love Pudding Pops. They only made those in the early 90s. What a shame. I don't need to go back to 1992 to have a Pudding Pop. It's, you know, so. No, I get it. Nostalgia is a weird, is a weird, deep, you know, personal thing. Yeah. And I think as the world progressively seems to get more awful, I think nostalgia (laughs) comes into play as a coping mechanism differently for different people. 
and 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 it's interesting you know because when this was made in in 86 the world was terrible for a lot of people sure. the world's always terrible for a lot of people so seeing that nostalgia played out is is interesting it's it's interesting mm-hmm. agreed um i do have one more question oh what who do you think would win superman or mighty mouse well mighty mouse is a cartoon yeah but it'd be a good fight Su- though <laughs> superman's a real guy Again, I I love the the purity of that argument yeah. because it rep it's like the confidence to which Teddy understands that that's a stupid question, and it's but a stupid question stupid because, because Superman's a real man. Like I love yeah, it. not stupid in the way that a, an adult would think. That again, exactly. that's what I mean about like their interactions. Like they're not stupid in a way that an adult would be like that. Why are we even talking about that? It's meaningless. Go do your homework or something. Right. But like. No. I'm like, duh, Runs dude, in... I didn't think about this because it's not a real thing. I do appreciate that. Yes. yes absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, so stand by me. I can't imagine that you haven't seen this movie, folks, if you were listening, especially if you've gotten this far and now probably are wondering a lot about what this movie was. Um, but it, it is still one near and dear to my heart. I will still, it will probably always be in my top ten, I think. I think it's like somewhere around like seven right now. Uh, I, I don't. I don't see it getting bumped out. I will watch well, I this mean, for any reason. Good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see yourself watching this again anytime soon? Not anytime soon. No. I, I wouldn't avoid it though, like if, if it came like if it came up for a reason, I would. Sure. But again, that that being said, if if in the very far flung future you were like, let's let's do now and then, I would probably watch this again before. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Or just after a yeah. pairing. Hmm. Yeah, just to kind of see, because in my head they stand they stand very close together. Right. Right. And um, I'd be curious too of just how how direct is that connection, or is it just coincidental based on we're telling a story about four teenage four young teens in the past. Yeah. 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 All right. Future episode now and then. You heard it here, folks. For you heard it, folks. Here, I'm. I'm on kitten brain. I'm not. I'm not thinking straight. I let's hope I actually recorded this episode. Oh, <laughs> look. People can't expect a lot from you no. these days. You, you got a lot on your brain, kitten. My gosh. You what have, kittens are up to? Like you have to understand. Like I was so mad yesterday driving home because I hit traffic, and the entire time I'm like, oh no, that means Brandon gets home before I do, and the kittens get to see him first, and I feel like that's oh. gonna taint something. Yeah, I know. I know. Because, like, usually I get home first, so they're going to get confused now. They're not going to know, you know, how they're supposed to be. Yeah, I know. I need to get over it. I need to I need to chill. So I think it's cute. I thank you. Okay. So, folks, with that being said, I assume you're wrapped up everything you need said, needed to say about Stand By Me? Yeah. Um, John Cusack is uh, adorable, always has been, always will be. Yeah. That's it. Uh, yes. And that, that concludes the John Cusack portion of the episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will probably do a catch up at some point in the future. Then we will do some other exciting things. Uh, in the meantime, Christine, um, where else can people lear- uh, read your stuff? Your oh. stuff. It's great. What do they yeah, do? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at xteen underscore makepeace. Uh, I post links to stuff that I write when it yeah. happens. I recently wrote about paranormal activity. That should be coming out relatively soon. Okay, be sure to put that also on the Facebook page, which we do have at Feminine Critique. 
I don't, I don't so. like Facebook, but if, no, if I occasionally like, will drop in and try to interact. Remember, deep down, I'm a boomer, and that's what I use. So, yeah. you know, that's why yeah. I love my Stand By Me and my 50s nostalgia. <laughs> because you're secretly a boomer? Because I'm actually 65. <laughs> I never told you. Whoa. It's, you I've been hiding it all these so years. Good. You've seen the movie Orphan. You know how this works. I am 5'1". It's all, it's, I've just, you know, wrapped it up differently. You know, now that you make it, it all kind of adds up, right? You start you, to look. You, yeah. you always were smoking cigars for yeah, some I know, reason. and I do love my Reader's Digest. I won't lie. <laughs> <sighs> all right, excellent. Uh, find Christine's books on Amazon. Christine, make peace. Thanks. And, yeah. We'll be back at some point. We have exciting uh, changes and such and, like, good stuff to announce. And maybe maybe I'll remember and tack it on on the episode. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But anyway, in the meantime. Exciting. Exactly. Go those places. Hear those things. Read those things. And we probably won't see everybody before Halloween. So have a happy Halloween. Yeah. Stay spooky. Yay. Lollipop, lollipop, oh, la 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 la